This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. If you could start your own production company, what would you do differently? It's a question Stephen Lim asked himself when he left the wildly popular BuzzFeed show Worth It to start his own digital studio, Watcher Entertainment. Being a creator himself, Stephen knew the struggle of writers, producers, and talent fighting to keep their own IP and earn what they're worth. So he decided to take a unique approach that could be the new standard for digital content production, or as Stephen puts it, the stupidest decision he could ever make. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. Stephen Lim gained popularity at BuzzFeed as the co-host of the food tasting show Worth It. But in 2020, he took what he learned and unlearned from BuzzFeed to start his own independent production company. At Watcher Entertainment, Stephen has taken a new approach to both the content he's putting out and everything that happens on the back end. In our conversation, Stephen discusses the challenge of prioritizing high production quality, changing the pay structure for creators, and shaking up the status quo of brand deals. So you got your start at BuzzFeed. So I'm curious to know, what did you learn working at a media company that you've parlayed into your current career at Watcher Entertainment? Yeah, I've learned so many things and unlearned so many things and learned them back. (laughs) The first thing I will say is when I started my own company, I became a lot more sympathetic of the people who run companies because it's not easy. And sometimes the money doesn't work out. And I think I realized that it's just tough. It's just tough for everybody. You know, all the creators, they all own their own businesses. They're all doing this thing. And when you have people working for you, you want to take care of them as best as you can but also you want to protect them from whatever they don't know. So that's like the philosophical answer to your question. (laughs) Um, The one thing that I do at my company now as a result of this not happening at BuzzFeed though, maybe that's our start, is we like to be as transparent as we can with our employees, whether it comes to the finances, whether it comes to decision-making, because I think at BuzzFeed, they try to protect us, and in doing so, I think they hurt us by not giving us access to that information. I don't think it was like a ego thing. I think it was mainly like they want us to focus on our jobs. But I think people focus on their jobs better when they can have a vision of the big picture yeah, from top to bottom. So that's one thing that I, I learned, maybe I learned not to do from BuzzFeed. There's many things I learned to do, which is the idea of iteration and not taking myself too seriously and working with a very select group of creative people who can all make magic happen. Mm-hmm. That was magic at BuzzFeed from 2015 to 2018. And that's something that I've continued to try to recreate at my company. I'm so glad you mentioned that idea of having transparency in your company because, you know, I was going to ask, it's difficult enough to start any kind of company. Mm -hmm. And specifically with a production company, there can be a focus on just what are we going to produce? Like, what's the content going to be? But you have to think about what kind of workplace culture am I creating? Like yeah. what, like what, there's so many other things to consider. So I'd love it if you can just put an even finer point on how, when you started Watcher Entertainment, what did you want the workplace environment to be like? Yeah, no, I did like a deep dive on company culture, asked everybody I could. Ultimately, what I realized is that I want Watcher to be a place 
that people can, this is going to sound so corny, but can follow their dreams. And Aww. I want it to be a place <laughs> where we can support people to do that. Yeah. And I think to my disadvantage <laughs> that has happened, and just in the sense that I think like we've had to pay the founders less and the employees more because we want them to not only fulfill it in their job, but also feel like they're valued. And so culture has been just like always at the forefront of my thought. People talk about a company as being a family, and I don't think that's the case for us. People talk about it as being like a professional sports team, like Netflix does that. And I like that, but I don't think that's us either. I don't think it is as cutthroat as that. Mm -hmm. I do think we're a high-functioning team that cares about each other personally and professionally. And so the motto I have is, I want the company to serve the people more than the people serve the company. Got it. I think that's a good motto to have. And so how big is Watcher right now, employee-wise? We are at 22 employees. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when we started the company, we raised an angel round, and our investors were telling us, grow, grow, grow. Grow faster than you can build, I think, is what they were saying. Which we've had, we've seen that doesn't always pan doesn't out. Doesn't always pan well. out. Doesn't always, and luckily for us, we had a product that people loved enough that it worked out. And then the recession hit and our investors were like, oh, actually, survive. Just survive <laughs> through this recession and you'll be like, like, don't think about growing, just survive. If I look back, I have no regrets, obviously. But I think one thing I would have told myself is to not put so much pressure on growing, let it happen organically. VC funding and, app and you know, angel investing and all that stuff, that's kind of like pumping steroids into your company. And uh, sometimes you need that, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes you need that because the product is so good. But for us with what we were trying to do, maintain a strong culture and a strong vision. I wish we had been more thoughtful about growing at the scale that our product was growing. Mm. There was a year span where we grew 10 to 20 employees, but the product hadn't gotten there yet. Mm -hmm. We were banking on it. I mean, at that point, our bank account hit zero at one point, and it was really scary. And I think looking back, yeah, just not having the pressure of other people and what they think about your company. Let let yourself define where your company is going. So let's even back up a little bit. Like what made you even want to start your own production company? Because there's a lot of stresses and a lot of pressure in building your own thing. And it's, yeah. it's admirable in many ways. But I fully understand people who are okay going their whole lives <laughs> with just working for other people. So yeah. what made you want to strike out on your own? With I'm Watcher? insane. Yeah. Uh, and so are the many other creators here. No, I think it's just like, I've actually always wanted to own my own YouTube production since I was like 22, 23. Mm -hmm. I'm 32 now, and it's finally a dream. And so that's part of it too. You know, there's the allure of YouTube content and, and doing that. I think now the thing that drives me is I just love doing this thing, and I think I can do it the best. Mm -hmm. And I think we can, I'd watch her do it the best. And we've built the perfect team to do that. And so who else better than us, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of the internal culture at Watcher, but I'm curious, when you think about it, there are so many production companies out there. So what do you think differentiates Watcher from other production companies? We're stupid. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> I see these YouTubers who are raking in so much money and doing it on like low budget stuff. And it's really smart. Uh -huh. It's really smart how they think about their books. And we are, but I'll back up and say we are smart because we think our competitive advantage is our quality of work. Mm -hmm. I think we really spend and invest a lot of money into the production value, into the creative ideas, into our people, and that has what kept us going. 
So to that, I mean, because when you think about you're you're really investing, and not to disparage, you know, um, other Absolutely. digital content and things like that, but I, I do agree that that's something that sets Watcher apart is like the this sort of uh, television quality that you put into digital yeah. into like a digital format. And so did you now you said television quality? Is that because you read our mission statement, or is that because you're just assuming? No. <laughs> see, so I'm so grateful you said that's the first time I've heard. Not first. I see it in our comments too, but I'm grateful no, you said it, that because that is part of the core mission statement it's television caliber content yeah on youtube no it is and i think that you know with that if you think about because i always find it interesting when people strike out and have these kind of like new digital companies or whatever how much of existing structures they kind of graft onto it so when you think about the structures of traditional entertainment like how much of that are you kind of grafting onto what you do so i'm thinking mm -hmm. i ask that question because i'm thinking mainly about the writer strike and we think about like you know production structures and like how much writers are getting paid and whatnot yeah. and i think companies like watcher are in a unique position to rethink a lot of that so i guess like when you think about what you're doing at watcher how much are you taking from traditional tv how much are you sort of remixing and, and thinking about it in a new way yeah no i love that so i can most easily explain an answer by sharing information about my staff. Mm -hmm. My head of production, brilliant. Her name is Lizzie Lockard, and she comes from TV. She comes from the traditional path, and she knows how to make stuff like TV. My head of development is Katie LeBlanc, comes from BuzzFeed, and she worked at Comedy Central as well and other places, but she comes from digital, and she has that digital DNA in her. And so we think of it as 50-50, the minds, them two working together, the minds. And then also we have a head of post-production, Sam, who did both, mm -hmm. traditional and, and digital. So the three of them are just like this beautiful blend of what we think is bringing the best quality of content to YouTube, but remembering that our strongest asset is our community. Mm. And that's something that TV shows don't have. That is very true. Kind of going back to, you know, community, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you've gone about developing that. It's interesting because I will give a lot of credit to Ryan and Shane, mm. who made a show Unsolved at BuzzFeed, and then they had the idea to do an after show, mm. which usually you see after shows are done by like, I don't know, producers or by like commentators or writers or somebody else, like some, they're not usually the talent, but they decided to do the after show. And that show actually helped explode the community and feel like they were a part of it because they were receiving questions directly from them mm -hmm. and they were receiving feedback from them. And so they were growing and, and like directly interacting with them every day. And then when we started Watcher, we actually hired somebody who ran the active external community for Unsolved into our company. And she mm -hmm. runs our social content now. And her name is Simone and she's she lives in the Czech Republic. <laughs> And she's, she works remotely, but she gets our audience and and, know, and she was a fan beforehand. So she knows what it's like to be on that side of things. And she's done a great job of helping us to, to foster our fans. And yeah. she responds to every single email that a fan has a complaint over anything. And she'll respond to every Twitter DM because she understands that this one individual, they may have a, you know, have a question or a comment. And it's amazing to feel heard by your favorite people. Yeah. And again, that's something that I can't imagine you keeping up with if you scale up too much. It's hard. <laughs> so, it's hard. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you, so how are you thinking about your slate of programming? Like, you have how many shows now? Like, what? We have a rotating, we have five main shows, but then we have a rotating cast of new shows we're trying to bring on. So, every year we try to do one or two new shows. Mm -hmm. um, like, for example, this last year we did Mystery Files, it's a new show for our channel. When you think about like getting a new show, like do you want something that you don't have? Like, are you listening to your community to say like we want this? Like, how do you think think about developing new shows? Yeah, 
It's really tough. We try to think of it as, first of all, what is Watcher? Watcher is a place we want people to be able to express themselves freely and to represent a diverse background of experiences or perspectives. And so um, what we've done is not only do we have the three founders making shows, we also have invested money into other people who have different perspectives, Mm -hmm. who have different show ideas. You know, you can't make everybody happy. So it's not like we can have every type of person make a show at Watcher, but we try to at least find somebody different, somebody who's maybe underrepresented, Mm -hmm. somebody who doesn't have a, a platform for their voice. And so those are typically things that we'll look into as we expand. And obviously like, the other aspect of that too is we have to make sure that perspective can be relatable to a general audience so they can, even though it's a very unique story, more people can understand it and can be a part of that. And I think that's been a struggle too of like, you don't want to preach to the choir. You want to, you know, mm-hmm. bring this to the, to the masses. So. so what would you say is like the best example of that? Yeah, we had two shows that we created with external talent. One of them is called Pretty Historic. Um, that was a show we, we had with Solorm. Um, and it was a, a history beauty show that we put together around her. Um, and she's just an, a wonderful, amazing talent that has so much to say about history and beauty. Um, and then another example was a show called Worth a Shot, mm-hmm. um, where we brought in a bartender who actually is a good bartender, <laughs> unlike me. And he creates like kind of viral foods into drinks. Mm-hmm. And then I guess the best example now, the the way that we found it to be the least intrusive to our audience is by bringing these people back into our main shows Mm -hmm. so that they get more face time with them, so they learn more about them. So they'll appear on Puppet History and they'll appear on Dish Created My Show and they'll appear on other things. Mm. Yeah, so it is a a balance because I've seen so many creators try to do the thing where you try to grow your talent or roster because it's it's hard to do it all alone. Um, And so I, I do think the best way to do it is a slow, process where you get people to know people better and it you know it takes years like i was at buzzfeed for two years before i had a blow-up show mm-hmm. same thing with like the try guys and with ryan and shane and everybody else so. yeah and so not to get obviously not to get into specific contract deals and whatnot yeah. but i'm curious like what what is sort of like the revenue split with someone who develops like pitches a show you know, yeah. is developing it and like you know becomes popular is it like a flat fee do they get like is yeah. it adjusted for how many views it gets i guess like what is what is sort of like the general for sure. deal at watcher happy to share that this comes from what i learned while i was working at buzzfeed in that i, I made a show called worth it there it was hugely successful very much so over 2 billion views you know all all the accolades awards etc cetera, etc cetera. but i didn't have a cut of it yeah and so i was thinking wait this is all growing but i'm not growing in my career like i'm not growing in my pockets and you know what what's happening and so we wanted to create a place where and also i don't own the ip i'm deeply grateful for buzzfeed and the opportunity they gave me and the platform they gave me but i was like what is there a better way to treat creators and so at Watcher, what we do is we foot the entire production bill. We pay for everything. And we pay the creator a flat fee for producing or directing or talent fee, whatever aspect that they're part of, we pay them that flat fee. On top of that, we do have a revenue split where after the show is profitable, any profits that are made are cut between us and the creator. And it depends on which source it comes from. So for example, mm-hmm. AdSense, they'll take 10% of that. Right. If it's like a brand deal for their personal platform, like their Instagram, they'll take 90%. Mm. So it's a scale of like what level they're a participant in that, but it's a shared revenue model um, depending on 
what happens to it. Right. And we have different, like, for example, we have an artist that we make music with. And if that goes in syndicates to Spotify or whatever, we have a deal with them where they take like, you know, I think 25% of whatever music sales that we make off that. We do, unfortunately, still own the content, unfortunately for the creator. But that's because legally we have to do that to be able to actually produce the content. What happens though is if they want to buy back the show, they have the option to do that after a year. Oh, wow. If we don't renew. Huh. So that way they can feel like they put their creative effort into it and they have the power to bring it back to themselves and bring it to somewhere else if they wanted to. So would you say that that is the approach that you have with Watcher in that regard? Is that, would you say like it's an industry standard for other digital studios? Or I don't are you doing think so. Something? I don't think anybody's doing it this way. In fact, our lawyers told us we are stupid and we should not do it this way. I was just going to say like how sustainable <laughs> do you think They're this like, approach is? I don't have, we have no templates for this. We have to draft <laughs> this up completely out from scratch. And like, yes, yes. Because we believe that critters are important and their ideas are important. They should yeah. be valued. And like I said at the beginning, we want Watcher to serve the people more than the people serve Watcher. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we'll hear more from Steven about the creative brand deals he's dreaming up for the future. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Do you think that this model is sustainable? Because you know, it sounds like you're just too pure for this world, man. <laughs> <laughs> I am absolutely an idealist, but I wouldn't want to do it a different way. So I will say for these two shows, they haven't been profitable. Mm -hmm. We took a huge hit financially for them. And so, yes, it's difficult. But I do think there will be a show in the future that we make that is profitable, that makes sense, that works for both parties. And that will make everybody happy. So I still believe in it. Yeah. hundred percent. So what do you, and I, I always hate like future questions, yeah, but no, because okay. I, no, I think it's, I think what you're doing at Watcher is so unique. And so as you see more people are kind of flooding into the digital, like the creator space, the digital space, I think what you've created is so interesting because as we mentioned, it's like TV level quality online, which is something we don't really see that much. Not disparaging people who do the run and gun style. That's yeah. great. But I do think that there has been a pocket to fill for this level of quality because people watch YouTube and TikTok. The people don't differentiate between that and like what they watch on like, you know, TV or whatever. Sure. It's like entertainment is entertainment is entertainment. So what do you see for the future of Watcher? It's interesting you're coming to me right now because we just had the release of our second most successful show, Mystery Files, mm -hmm. which is part of the Files universe with Ghost Files. Our new bar is Mystery Files. That's how shows should perform on our channel. And I think for me, I still want to create one to two new shows every single year, invest a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of heart and dedication into those shows. And between now and the five years, that'll be like five, 10 shows. I think two of them will pop off. I think one or two of them will pop off. And that's like the expectation. But from there, what we'd like to do is we have this incredible IP and then you figure out what to do with the IP after you see what it is. Mm -hmm. I think some people make mis the mistake of saying, oh, you know, this is a YouTube property, you need to do this brand deals, merch sales, AdSense, Patreon, et cetera. It's like, those are like the playbook. But I think, what does it look like for Ghost Files to have a maze at the Knott's Berry Farm? Exactly, yes. What does it look like 
for Mystery Files to do a guess who clue kind of board game? What does it look like for us to do physical activations where people get to go and do like a, an escape room type mystery style? What about puppet history? What about an education learning course where we make learning fun and accessible for everybody? I do think in the next five years, we will have a not scary farm maze. And I think we'll have, I'm speaking to end of existence, by the way. But in terms of growth, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be as big as Mr. Beast one day. Love that. I would, I would love to be able to reach that many people. Yeah, He's done an unbelievable job doing that. But we do know that our target audience is people who crave the television caliber content, mm -hmm. but for free. Right. Because I do think this idea of taking your IP and kind of shining it through a prism to reach places that... I think a lot of people aren't really thinking about it because as you said, like it's kind of a gut reaction to go with like IP and like brand deals and whatnot. But I do think that a consideration can be taken of like what this specific IP is and like what, how can you tap in in like unique ways? And yeah. I think like the maze is a great idea, but <laughs> is that something that you envision handling internally? Or is that something that like, cause I, I just, I yeah. keep going back to this idea of, you know, kind of having like, like this lean operation, but then also knowing where your strengths are. So do you think that you can handle thinking about where this IP will exist and striking those deals internally? Or do you see like yeah. bringing on like external? I think it's going to be a, a mixed bag. Yeah. Like for example, our merch, we run with an external partner and they handle all the merch, logistics, production, designs and everything. And then we share the cut on that. Whereas like the production, we own the productions. Ryan and Shane love popcorn, for example. Mm -hmm. I want to make a popcorn brand for them. I don't know how. I, yeah. If anybody's reading this or, you yeah. know, and it's like, oh, I know popcorn. I'll do it with you guys. Come talk to me and we'll figure something <laughs> out. And so it's literally just me like on Google looking things up and me like calling people and asking for like asking Keith, how do you make that hot sauce? So to that point, I mean, like, what are your strengths, would you say? We are really good at creating a brand and galvanizing people around it. Yeah. And like I said, our strongest asset is our community. We love them to death and we will do anything for them. The YouTube comments system is interesting because that doesn't exist anywhere else. That's the first place where I think all the chatter is happening. And we have access to that and we add our thoughts on that as well. But beyond that, we're really active on our Twitter, especially in Instagram, where we're responding to people, talking to them, retweeting their stuff, their fan art, their conversations, Tumblr as well. We are like super active on Tumblr. We have a lot of fans there and we love them. And then Patreon, we have a special Discord for our super fans who want to be a part of that. And so it is interesting, like we get to have daily access to our, not just our audience, but like our survey audience. It's such a gift to be able to do both at the same time. And yeah, I think it's different where like people come up to me and they're like, oh, like they feel like they know me. And while it's weird at first for me to accept that, I kind of love it because like I don't have to explain who I am. Yeah. There's like a baseline for our relationship. Whereas like a, you know, an actor or, a you know, somebody on TV, it's like, it feels like you don't know them because mm -hmm. they're behind a network who was greenlit by an executive mm -hmm. put together by a production company with a story editor and a producer. And so there is like the transparency between I made the content that my audience receives. And it's just like, it's so simple. Right. And so given everything that we've talked about, I mean, what impact do you see or what impact do you want Watcher to have on the overall entertainment industry? Not just the creator space, but overall entertainment. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, this reminds me of when we had like our vision statements. We were like in Ryan's kitchen figuring out what is this company again? Right. Like, and then we'd like look up like what does HBO do? And they're like, right. oh, we we do high quality stuff. And it's like 
that's all you say, you know? <laughs> um, oh, and they all of them say, we want to bring joy to our, our audience. They love the word joy. And actually, we have joy in our mission statement as well. So <laughs> You're part of the problem. Uh, we're part of <laughs> okay, I am going to criticize some people on YouTube and TikTok. And I think that there are people out there who are making stuff without thinking. They're not thinking about the impact that it has on people, on what they're sharing, on misinformation that they're sharing, on what, like, the context, the cultural context that they have and, and the impact that they have. And I want us to show that, first of all, you can make quality content for free and you can make it work because that's something that is hard to do. But secondly, I want to affect people to think about what they're watching and to, like, not just be entertained, but, like, how does it impact the way that you perceive the world and how can you be a better person for your city, your state, your country? I cannot wait to see what you do next with Watcher because you've been doing some really cool stuff. Thank so you. congratulations on all the success and we'll see what you do next. I am so grateful that you guys are talking to me. Oh, please. Come on now. Come <laughs> I, on. I love it. And I do want to share more of what Watcher does with people. So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to do that because our staff are incredible and it wouldn't be here without them. And uh, I just want to shout, shout them out because they are what makes us who we are. And the stuff that you see on the screen, it's like me, Ryan, and Shane. But really, like that's like 5% of the iceberg. It's like there's so much more. Uh, it's not the right analogy to use right now. <laughs> but it's 5% of the big picture. <laughs> I love them to death. They're an, a wonderful group of people that I get to work with every day. A boss who really cares about his employees. Again, you're just too pure for this world, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Creative Control. And if you haven't already, go check out some of Fast Company's other amazing podcasts. We have Most Innovative Companies and The New Way We Work. Both of them are fantastic, so make sure you listen and subscribe. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles, Blake Odom, and Julia Shu. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. And our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Joshua Christensen.